0: Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Hope hope you enjoyed the uh the warm weather yesterday. It's gone today. <laughs> so, Christianity uh, has been around for a couple thousand years now. Uh, but of course, it it has its roots in the Jewish religion, Judaism, wh- which goes back a couple thousand years before that. So, 4,000 years or so, thousands of years of a religion, I would gently say the religion of God revealing Himself to us. You see, if there is a God, and there is, and He created us for His glory and to know and enjoy uh, His glory, and He did, don't you think that He would make Himself known to us? Well, He did. But how do we know we're right? I mean, I mean, not being arrogant, there's no place for that. True, Christianity breeds humility. But again, how do we know that we have it right? I mean, after all, just within Christianity, forgetting the other world religions, it's estimated that there are, are you ready, over 45,000 Christian denominations in the world. So which one is Right? Further, how do we know that we have the message right? As the author of Hebrews gets ready to close his letter, he's concerned about that. Namely, do we get it right? Oh, not perfectly, I suppose. Of those 45,000 denominations, many have the, the basics right. They've just gotten off in some of the peripheral issues. Perhaps we have. So our author reviews some foundational truths, reminding us of what really matters. You see, we must get this part right, because eternity hangs in the balance. Obviously, we've seen he's writing to Jewish believers, and he wants to make sure they got it right, that they, they understand that the Christian faith is the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament pointed to. And to fall short of that or draw back from that, to return to the roots of Judaism, is to, to leave the Christian faith, is to miss it, is to miss God's ultimate revelation in his Son, is to get it wrong. And we must get this part right. We remember the first few verses of the book several months ago. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, that's the Old Testament, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the world. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he goes on from there, proving that Jesus is indeed God's ultimate revelation. In fact, his very son, the fulfillment, again, of all that the Old Testament pointed to, the the one who brought and established the new covenant, We've been studying this for months. We've heard this over and over again. Again, it's, a, it's been a great study. So to be clear, I am sure that there are things that I don't know or believe rightly. I want to. I mean, don't you? It's one of the reasons that I, I get to read and study and, and, and teach the Bible. But the basic fundamental truths of the Christian faith the truths about Jesus and his gospel, we must get that part right. So again, how do we know? How do we know we haven't missed it? I think that's a legitimate question. And so he tells us in the text before us today. Now, as I I said, he's been saying this for like 12 chapters And he gets to chapter 13, and he finally, as we saw last week, he starts talking about some duties, some responsibilities. Now that you know this truth, there's some ways that you ought to act as followers of Christ. And and so we looked at a list of of several things last week, but then he gets to verse 7 of chapter 13. He can't help himself. He goes back to what he's been talking about. Some of this truth, you're going to say, we have heard it. That's right, because it's important, you see, that we get this part right. Look at it with me, Hebrews 13 verses 7 and following me. And I would say further, as we read this text, if we had not studied the first 12 chapters, some of this would make no sense, but it'll pop off the page to you. Look at verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their, con- of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus is, Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So don't be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve in the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin, they're burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify or save The people, through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So, let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here, we do not have a lasting city. We are seeking the city which is to come. You see? He tells us here how we can know we're right. Again, not to be arrogant, but how we can know that we're right in what we believe, and we must get it right. Forms our outline. He, he talks about the, the teaching of past, faithful emphasis on faithful teachers, the unchanging nature of the teaching in this perhaps most famous verse in the book of Hebrews, and, and then the content of the teaching, that part that we... We've got to get right. Look at verse 7 again. Remember those who led you, who spoke the Word of God to you, and consider the result or the outcome of their conduct or their or their way of life. And if they have been faithful to the end is the idea, then imitate their faith. Kind of interesting. Don't imitate them, their personalities, or their work, or even their spiritual gifting. It's not like we need a bunch of Scots running around I so said that, Last service, not in my nose, I said that last service, and someone right in the front row said, amen. It took me a moment to recover from that. Imitate their faith. Who are these who led them? Most agree, these were their first leaders, elders, pastors, pastors. Missionary leaders, the word for those who led is used three times in this chapter here and then in verse 17. Obey your leaders, we'll get to that one. Verse 24, greet all of your leaders. It's, it's a word used generally to speak of all kinds of leaders in the military and politics, perhaps in the, the community. Of course, when brought into the Christian context, that is, into the church, it certainly includes elders and overseers and pastors, but it includes any leader. Within the local church, and there are lots of leaders. in fact, I go so far as to say that you're leading somebody. Notice these leaders are further identified as those who spoke the Word of God to you, which after all, is the foundation of truth, culminating in the truth of Jesus Christ. You see when in the first chapter, the author spoke of God speaking to us in these last days through His Son, He's still talking about the Word of God. That's through the New Testament, the story of Jesus in His work as God's people. I want to be clear. We are still supposed to be people of the Bible. It's not as if Jesus replaced the Bible. No, 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 no. He's the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament pointed to, and He. And his story is found in the New Testament. So again, when he says God has spoken to us through his son, that doesn't mean we discard the Bible far from it. You perhaps have heard that. All that really matters is my relationship with Jesus. And as true as that may be, our relationship with Jesus comes through our understanding of this. The Bible is the complete, is completed in the life and revelation of Jesus. So, When evangelical leaders, of whom there has recently been a quite popular one, says that we need to unhitch from the Old Testament, that is clearly wrong. Jesus himself said that he did not come to abolish the Mosaic law, but he came so that the law would be fulfilled in him, kept perfectly, and and brought to its end, its ultimate end. He said further that not one jot or two, the smallest letters of the Hebrew alphabet would... Pass away until all is fulfilled. So listen, we cannot unhitch from the Old Testament. It is foundational to the New. They spoke the Word of God to you, see. But these readers were considering unhitching from the New Testament and going back solely to the Old, and you can't do that either. These are inseparably joined as God's complete and full revelation. I want to say it this way. If you want to know God fully, you know it here. You know Him here. This is why we have listed as one of our, as our first core value, biblical authority. I want to be clear about that. Everything that we believe, everything that we do is built on the foundation of the Bible. I would suggest gently and humbly that 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 is one difference between us and many of those 45,000 denominations. Now, to be clear, not all of them. There are lots and lots of really good ones with whom we share much, if not all, in common. But some have beliefs and practices, some of those 45, not found in the Bible. Frankly, some have gotten these most important truths wrong. So we want to make sure that our beliefs and practices can be supported by the Word of God. And when he says... Considering the result of their conduct, literally the end of their life, the implication is that these early leaders are now dead, such that you've seen the whole of their lives, or at least you saw them to the end of their lives. Later in verse 17 and 24, he'll talk about obeying and greeting living leaders. These, however, are now deceased leaders, dead ones, who remained faithful to the end. That's the point. Therefore, you can imitate their faith. He's been encouraging them to remain faithful to the very end of their lives, to not desert the Christian faith. In chapter 7, look at some past examples of faith who died not having received the promises, that is, the coming of Christ and the gospel, the new covenant. Glance at them. But what? He gets to chapter 12. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. That's the goal line. Now he actually says, glance at those who example the Christian faith after the coming of Jesus, the fulfillment of the promises, who communicated the word of God to you, found in God's word, culminating in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Follow them. So, I have some questions for you. Who is that for you? Who has faithfully led you? Maybe it was your dad or or your mom. Maybe it was a grandparent or two. Maybe it was your pastors or, or, or church leaders. In fact, I would suggest if there is not a church leader, because that's what we're talking about here, if there is not a church leader whose faith you can be encouraged by, then find a church where you can. I would suggest there are lots of godly, faithful leaders in, their, in, in this church imitate their faith inasmuch as they follow Jesus. And when you go from here, knowing that we have a, a very tr- tr- transient community, lots of students, very irritating part of college ministry, you actually leave. It's a little irritating. When you leave from here, find a church with godly, faithful leaders whose faith you can imitate. So again, who is that? Maybe it's been a youth leader. Maybe it's the one who led you to faith in Jesus. Maybe it was the one who discipled you. Who is it further? Who is it you are leading? Because I said earlier, almost all of us are probably leading somebody. If you're a mom or a dad, you are. Who is looking to you for faithful, spiritual encouragement? And so I would say lead well my brothers and sisters imitate their faith follow them to the grave faithfully and rightly believing this is what he's challenging us to do but hey it's true these leaders the ones he's talking about in Hebrews had died perhaps those who led you died as well and maybe that was a blow to your life I mean what now is all lost oh no It's okay because the object of our faith has remained unchanging and undying. To be clear, there have been many people in this church whose lives have been an encouragement to me whom I have buried. But we still pursue. We still go on because the object of our faith remains unchanging and undying. Point two, verse eight. The unchanging nature of the teaching. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Again, perhaps the most popular, most famous verse in the book of Hebrews, in its context, so important. This is not necessarily a verse talking about the eternality or pre-existence of Christ, although it implies that. It is true that Jesus has always existed in eternity past and into eternity future. Uh, Meaning this verse was true 2,000 years ago when the author of Hebrews wrote it. it'll be true 2,000 years from now because Jesus is unchanging. He is the same. Therefore, here's the point. Even though leaders come and go, and they come and go, and even though some leaders fall and fail, Jesus Christ... The object of our faith is still present and always will be the same. He started this letter with with these words. We glanced at them a couple of weeks ago. They will, he's talking about creation, heaven and earth will perish, but you, Jesus, remain. They will all become old like a garment, like a mantle. You'll roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed, but you, not you, Jesus, you are the same and your years will not come to an end. Jesus is the same. And therefore, get this, trustworthy He's trustworthy. I've said this many times before. I'll say it again. People often have objections to Christianity because of some Christian or Christians. Maybe that's true for you. Maybe you had your eyes fixed on someone who was supposed to be a faithful leader and they, and they didn't. We can all name pastors who failed miserably. Maybe some Christian has wronged you, disappointed you, misled you. The truth is Christianity is not built on Christians. You have not shortened the word enough. Christianity is built on Christ, who is the same and who will never let you down. Now, even as I say that, the author encourages us to follow faithful leaders. That's true. Inasmuch as they follow Christ. And as we are following them, as they are ahead of us, as they veer off the path, we're still fixed on Jesus. We don't follow them off the path. And start 45,001 denominations. The goal line is Christ. It is He upon whom we fix our eyes. Which means... The object of our faith and his finished work, all that which the Old Testament pointed to, is unchanging. Make sure you get that. The gospel is always true and it is always the same. It cannot be changed. This was the message of their now dead leaders. It was the message of their present leaders. It is the message of the church of Jesus Christ. It never changes. Methods may change. Ministry philosophies may change. But the truth and the message never do. If you leave from here and you go to a church and you find that they're teaching something a little different, that is a little different gospel, abandon that sinking ship. You do not have to wonder whether or not they might be right. No. Not if they're teaching a different gospel. So the encouragement is, even as leaders come and go, Jesus and his gospel never will. My wife, Tan, and I have talked a lot about this. We have been here for 22 years, and Lord willing, uh, we've got a good decade or two. Okay, one left. But if I go out and get hit by a truck today, it will not matter, truly. There are others who will fill my shoes and the shoes of current pastors and elders and leaders, and the gospel will continue. Jesus will build his church, and the very gates of hell will not overcome it. This is the problem, by the way, with hitching your wagon to a person, especially celebrity Christianity. Hitching your wagon to some charismatic popular leader can be problematic. Again, we can all name them who have fallen. Hitch your wagon to Jesus. I'm going to suggest that he is the only true celebrity in Christianity. And while I'm on that, let me just take a little aside. I don't know what it is about us in American Christianity when we get so excited when a celebrity, like a sports figure, a great basketball player, a great football player, or a a, a Hollywood celebrity comes to faith in Jesus Christ. It is all over Twitter and Instagram, in our social media. And we get so excited as if, listen, here's why, as if that person can validate our faith. We don't need them. Now listen, I am thankful when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. But we don't need them to validate our faith because we have one and his name is Jesus. To be clear, I had someone in my office on Friday. You don't even know his name. Who prayed to receive Christ and there was much joy in the angels of heaven over this one sinner who repented as when some celebrity comes to faith in Jesus Christ. We don't need them to validate our faith. I celebrate when people come to faith in Christ, but they don't have to be an A-lister. There's joy when people come, uh, become Christians. End of aside. I keep saying Jesus and his gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. Why do I keep saying the gospel, the finished work of Christ and Jesus? Well, that brings us to the third point. It's the content of the teaching. This is the part we got to get right. You see, it's not enough to believe in Jesus. You must believe in who he is and what he has done. And you must believe that rightly. Because there will always be false teachers out there inspired by the evil ones seeking to pervert the truth of Jesus. Now, here, the challenge was the draw or the, to return to Judaism. The author has been arguing over and over, you can't do that. I, I've been saying it over and over, you cannot depart the Christian faith. You cannot convert to Judaism or any other religion, for that matter. You cannot depart the faith because salvation is found nowhere else. Again, not trying to be arrogant. But if this is true, and it is, this clearly declares that Jesus is the only way. And we must hold on to that truth in a church, in a country that is quickly leaving that truth. Look at verses 9 to 14, starting with Do not be carried away by varied and strange. Teachings, In other words, stay faithful to the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. Don't be carried away by various teachings that are contrary to the gospel. That's what the word strange means. It means foreign or unheard, different from the message you heard from the beginning that is found in the word of God. It is the message of Jesus. By by the way, this was Paul's concern and and the very reason they wrote the book to the Galatians. They were being impacted by a group that we today call Judaizers, a group of people who said believing in Jesus is great. And keeping the law of Moses in order to be saved, especially circumcision, by the way. Never mind that the law was given to show us that we needed Jesus because we couldn't keep the law. Now they came along and said, yeah, believe in Jesus and keep the law. Duh, you can't. That was the problem. They were changing the gospel by adding to it. So Paul writes, "I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. For even if we are an angel from heaven, if Michael comes, I'm talking like the archangel, not Pastor Michael, but even him, if he comes preaching you uh, preaching a uh, go- gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed." As we said before, so I say now again, if any man has preached to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Let him be damned. That's how important this is. We've got to get this part right. We must. Hebrews goes on, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food's through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. Again, as I've read that earlier this week, I thought like, this is just a little bit confusing. But we've been through twelve chapters, so we can put it together. The author has encouraged his readers not to return to Judaism, where where dietary laws and sacrificial meals were important, but no longer. They all pointed to Jesus. He had said in chapter 9, Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices offer, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to external things, food, drink, various washings, regulations for the body, imposed until the time of Reformation, until the time of Christ, when He came to transform and reform our lives through the new covenant. Our hearts, meaning the central sum of who we are. We think of our hearts as, today I love you with all my heart. We think of it as, as, as emotion, and it certainly includes that. But in the Scripture, it speaks of the sum of who we are. Our hearts are to be strengthened by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and all He did for us at the cross. We're to be strengthened by grace, not food loss. Grace is getting what we don't deserve nothing we could do to earn grace, merit grace. It's been provided through Christ and his work on the cross. Please notice, grace is not only saves us, it strengthens or it sustains us day by day. Meaning we don't just need God's grace to be saved. We need it to strengthen us to live this Christian life. If you're finding difficulty living the Christian life, it might be because you've gotten to the point where you say, God, I got this. You don't got this. There's never a day that you got this. You need God and Christ and His gospel every day. That's why there are people who rightly say, preach the gospel to yourself every day. You need it. It is the gospel we need, the good news of God's grace, not a return to food laws under the old covenant and Judaism. These, those were occupied. Those who are occupied with those food laws are not benefited. He's been saying this over and over through the book. The old covenant never perfected anyone. They're all just types pointing to fullness in Jesus. So there, there is no eternal spiritual benefit to food laws. Okay, I always get tickled. Actually, tickles not the right word. I get irritated <laughs> by those who want Christians to start observing Old Testament food laws. Really? Yes. For example, some time ago, there were a couple of diets that came out. You know them, you've heard of them. There was the Hallelujah Diet and the Maker's Diet. Have of you ever heard of them? I won't ask if you did them. Both diets based on Old Testament food laws. Now, it may be good for you to stay away from certain foods prohibited in the Old Test- oh, in Testament. Certainly, moderation is the key. But to be clear, it is of no spiritual value. And to capitalize on those spiritual terms to sell a book on a diet, the hallelujah diet makes me a little irritable, and besides, I'm going to eat my bacon. I said that whole paragraph to say I could eat bacon. I'm kidding. We can't return to food laws. Come on. Verses 10 and 11, he makes it clear he's talking about the old covenant and the uselessness of returning there. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle, that's the place of the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant, meaning the Old Covenant, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. What in the world does that mean? It's a metaphorical language. Those who continue in the Old Covenant cannot eat of the altar from which we eat. What is that? Again, symbolic language, talking about how we partake of the work of Christ through His death and resurrection. So what's our altar? What's, what's he talking about? This is like referring to the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me explain. You see, an altar is a place of sacrifice. And there, under the old covenant, animals were sacrificed, blood was shed. And certain sacrifices allowed those who made the sacrifices to eat. But those who serve there, meaning they are continuing under the old covenant, cannot partake of the altar from which we partake. That means you can't try and keep the old covenant and add a little Jesus to the mix. No, nope, it won't work. You can't partake of this altar. And what was the sacrifice under the new covenant? It was Jesus who was both a high priest and also the sacrifice himself. And where was that sacrifice offered on the cross? And so we partake of that offering metaphorically. For example, we remember that one day Jesus said, if you do not eat my body and drink my blood, you will have no life, meaning eternal life. We must believe and partake of his sacrifice in order to have eternal life is the idea. The author now goes back to the old covenant sin offering, probably talking about the day of atonement to draw a parallel uh, in the offering of Christ for sin. Look at verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place. When did that happen? On the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would make the sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the sins of, of the people. See, we've seen that over and over. So I said, if we, by studying the first 12 chapters, we get to chapter 13, we go, well, yeah, I understand this. We, he, would, he would bring the blood of the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies, sprinkle it on the mercy seat as an offering for sin. But notice, then those bodies of those dead animals... After the blood was shed and sprinkled, was burned outside the camp. That is, outside the tabernacle and the camp of the Israelites around the tabernacle. Therefore, I know this has been a lot of information. Tune back in. Therefore, verse 12, interesting word. Because those day of atonement sacrifices were types pointing to Jesus, therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify or save the people through the offering of his own blood, also suffered outside the gate. Do you realize what that means? This is the only clear... Reference to Jesus dying outside the city of Jerusalem. John implies it. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, not in the city. But in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. It's talking about the sign that Pilate put on the cross, saying this is Jesus of Naz- uh, Jesus Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Chief priests were irritated about that. Don't say that. Whatever it never written. Many read the inscription because Jesus was crucified near the city, meaning not in the city. Hebrews makes it abundantly clear. He was outside the gate, outside the walls of the city. And if you go to Jerusalem today, I was there a couple of months ago, whether it's the Catholic site or the Protestant site of crucifixion, we each got to have our own, you see, um, both purported sites are outside the city walls of ancient Jerusalem because it must be, because Hebrews says so. The author says, like the Old Covenant sacrifices, Jesus also was sacrificed outside the city. Why? This is so important. People or things were discarded outside the city because they were unworthy and unclean. That's where lepers lived, by themselves, outside the camp. They cried out. To, to the clean who maybe were walking by. Unclean. It's where garbage was refuse was cast. The, 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 that's where Gehenna was. It was this it was this perpetually burning dump where you threw out the crap. Criminals were cast. It was a place of shame. A place for the unclean. Crucifixions further happened outside the city alongside roadways so people could see them because such deaths were reserved for unclean, common criminals. And such horrific, vile deaths could not take place inside the city walls. The point is, for Jewish leadership, Jesus was considered unclean. He's he's thrown out like garbage outside the city gates and there he died that he might sanctify, save, make holy the people, something the old covenant could never do. He had written in chapter 10 by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, outside the city. And notice from there, from outside the city, the city, that's where everyone lives, that's the clean part. That's where we do the religious stuff, you see. That's where, that's where everyone lives and does life. From outside the city, Jesus bids us come. They threw him out. And he says to you, come. The readers were tempted to abandon Jesus and go back into the city, community of Israel. There's not life there. There's no hope there. So let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, bearing his shame, taking up our crosses, dying to ourselves daily. Remember Jesus said that? Following Jesus, meaning Jesus is not to be found within Judaism. City of Jerusalem, They. They condemned him. They turned him over to Roman authorities who took him outside the city and crucified him. They killed him with the most gruesome, horrible, unclean kind of death. On a cross, he was mocked with the most vile kinds of disrespect and disparagement. And from outside the city, he bids us come to him and bear share in his reproach and shame. Meaning... It should not come as a surprise that Christianity is despised. I know that we live in this evangelical bubble called the United States. But it should not come as a surprise to us that Christianity through the centuries has been despised because they despised it's Christ. And he calls to you to come outside the city. You think life is here. It's not here. How how can we do that? How can we leave leave that for which we've lived all of our lives we think is important? Every, Every social media account, everything on TV tells us this is where life is. How can we do that? Verse 14 tells us because of the promise there. For here we do not have a lasting city. Is this what you want? Is this working for you? We are seeking a city which is to come. The author has held this out to us over and over. We are looking for a city with foundations, meaning it is unshakable. whose architect and builder is God. There's coming a time when everything that can be shaken will be shaken and removed. We, however, are part of a permanent, unshakable kingdom. We are part of the city of God. We must hold on to that promise. We must go to Jesus, bear his reproach. We must, listen, Eternity hangs in the balance. We must get this part right.